sometimes someone hearing a story like that for the first time, they might say it can trigger in them, oh, I'm not alone. Like she's, she's speaking my language. Welcome to the Rustic Affair podcast, a show that helps to inspire and empower listeners to become the best version of themselves by bringing you engaging guest speakers who share their powerful stories of transformation and change. My name is Kristen Nicholson. I'm a teacher, conference host, and women's empowerment entrepreneur. Thank you for joining me today and listening to this episode. I'm excited to share with you the story of my special guest speaker today, Amanda Nicole Grant. She is the owner of the Thriving Mamas Coaching for Mums Dealing with Stress and Being Overwhelmed. Today, she'll be sharing about how she overcame her battle of being a perfectionist and deal with anxiety and the stresses of trying to become a new mom and what steps she took to move beyond being overwhelmed to become the successful mother, teacher, and coach that she is today. Thank you for joining me today, Amanda. I'm glad you could be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So tell me a little bit about this Thriving Coaches. Yeah. Uh, so Thriving Mamas is um, for, for moms to help them overcome their daily stress and overwhelm. So it's so easy to get caught up in, in the day to day. You know, the dishes need to be done and the baby needs feeding and, you know, I need to buy diapers and my boss wants something done. And it's just, um, it can become all all consuming and we can kind of lose ourselves and our own sort of purpose and passion in that, um, which becomes a stressor in the background too. So yeah, given everything that sort of I've gone through in my life, I sort of reached a point where I thought it just became natural to reach out and help, help other women. Fantastic. So can you tell me more about where your story began? Yeah, it's funny. I've actually been doing some like trauma healing work on sort of past stories. So um, the timing of this is interesting. It's all sort of very right there right now. I mean, I think even like looking back, I was I was a perfectionist from a very young age, you know, always got good grades and was, you know, pleased the teacher and did the right thing and was well behaved. And, you know, I fit into that good girl box, you know, very conveniently. I resonate with that for sure. That's very much, I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. So I totally resonate with that. Yeah. I think then it, it just sort of kept going. It's funny as I was reading your, your interview questions, I remembered having dinner with a friend of mine, like in first year university, and I was going on and on about all these things I had to do. And I was very stressed and I wanted her to tell me how wonderful it was that I was so stressed and busy, right? She just didn't get it, right? Like she was like, so why are you doing that? Like, what, what, are, what are you doing kind of? And it never occurred to me to not be doing these hundred other things that were all for other people, right? Like it was just this huge separation just had, yeah, had never occurred to me. And so then I think like I had in 2012, I was diagnosed with Addison's disease. And so that sort of spurred some change in my life and I did some learning and growing. And then when my husband and I tried to get pregnant, um, there was, there was some, some fertility struggles, lots of pressure on myself around that. And, you know, can my body do this or can't I, and you become sort of super consumed with, um, doing it right, right? That perfectionism creeps in. Well, if I just do everything right at the exact moment and in the right way, then this will work. In the right Um, order. Yeah. And it should work, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yes. And if it doesn't, I don't know what else to do, right? Because this is like my lifelong strategy of like, if I just do everything I'm supposed to, it will work. And so, yeah, that was sort of, I would say, you know, getting a negative pregnancy test after however long of trying or whatever was, you know, among the most devastating experiences of my life because my strategy wasn't working and I didn't have the emotional tools to cope. Well, and I think that's very much, you know, even we've talked previously about having very similar stories and even similar, you know, we have the same profession, right? And I know that it took almost two years to have my daughter when we first started trying. It was very much the same. It was like, this should work. This is exactly how I know I understand how this all works exactly. And it should just become natural. And it doesn't. And I remember my doctor telling me, you know, you need to relax. (laughs) Just do everything normal like you would normally do. And it'll just happen. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah. The funny thing is, though, there's part of me that when you said that, I'm like, but this is normally what I do. I am normally hypervigilant about making sure everything works. (laughs) It is not working. Yeah. No, fair enough. So how did you know then being a perfectionist then was becoming a real problem for you? Mm. Um, So when my son was born, he was, he was in the NICU. He was on the smaller side. He was followed by a bunch of specialists. So my husband was working long hours. I had all these lovely women being very helpful in and out of my house trying to help me help my baby. Then he was diagnosed with an immune system condition. My anxiety and my vigilance just went way up this was not something I was willing to make a mistake about, right? Like if he has a fever, he could die from sepsis essentially, right? And so it's like, I follow the rules, right? There's literally a sheet of rules from the doctor. I'm like, I'm very good at that. I can follow the rules. But it was just that hypervigilance took over. And I remember breaking down in a counselor's office one day, just sobbing. And after she, after I sort of, you know, recovered and we knew each other very well. So I knew where she was coming from when she said that she said, Amanda, if you treated your son, the way you treat yourself, I would have him taken away from you. Mm. And I was like, Whoa, (laughs) like it's just, it was the first time I think it had truly occurred to me that I was treating myself that unkindly. My standards were so high. I needed to be the perfect mom. I had wanted him so badly. I had tried everything under the sun to have him. I was so grateful and, you know, damn it, I was going to enjoy and be perfect at every moment of this. And it just led to me being even more high strung and just coming apart at the seams. And yeah, I need something needed to change. So Definitely. And just that hypervigilance, like you were talking about. So how do you think that perfectionism and hypervigilance and then, and of course that led to anxiety too. So how do you think that affected your life then? Oh, it's miserable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It takes the, it takes the joy away. Right. And I mean, I think it's like on one hand, I mean, I was, I think motherhood is full of this, right. Where these, we can have these very, opposing thoughts and feelings at the same time, right? Like, yeah, so you can have those great days and you can have those bad days and, and it's just, or in between moments. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I was totally in love with being a mom and being, you know, this little boy. And yet it was just that it was almost like it was at a, this cost to myself, right? Like I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping. I was, you know, feeling so strung out. I wasn't taking care of myself. It was affecting my relationship with my partner, right? Breeding resentment. And 
I just, it was making me unhealthy and it was detracting from more joy that I, that I could have felt. Yeah, you bet. So why do you think then other people then, because like I said, you and I had both talked about having very similar stories and being very similar in the perfectionist realm. Why do you think so many people struggle with perfectionism and anxiety? Such a good question. I think there's an underlying, there's an underlying belief, which might be different for everybody, but I think it's a survival mechanism that we learned most of us at a very young age. And I think for me, it comes down to, you know, trying to overcome a sense of unworthiness, right? If I just do everything that I'm supposed to do and, you know, anticipate everyone else's needs and watch what they're doing and feeling and expecting, and I just sort of fit into that, then, then I'm worthy of, of love and acceptance, right? They're, they want to, they want to keep me around. And I think that just continues to play out. And my guess is that that story is, is more common. Oh, definitely. Those feelings of unworthiness. And I think too many people, they often think that's also kind of a conditioning too to put ourselves last, especially as mothers. I think that we really, yeah, put ourselves last. And then that makes you feel unworthy that, you know what, I need to have all of these things in order to be loved and appreciated when instead it's, you know, that self-acceptance of going, oh, you know what, I'm okay just the way I am. Yes. And take it or leave it. But that's so hard, yes. especially yeah. as a person who is, like I said, a recovering perfectionist, right? Very much just, yeah, you're always trying to please others. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, right, I mean, our society rewards that selfless, nurturing persona of a mother from a very young age. Yeah. And I think it just, it's the behavior that gets rewarded. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Well, and one of the things you had talked about is just the steps to recovery, because I know that you had said that you're working on moving into that next, that next phase on your journey. So mm-hmm. once you recognize there was a problem, what, what did you do then to recover? Like what tips would you give to others? Um, I think the first step is, is the tip is that it's, it's not instantaneous and that it's not, it's not necessarily going to shift right away. Right. Like I think it's even like before I became a mom, I think I had some things figured out and then that huge change in my life. Oh no, the universe is telling me again to work on this. Right. Like, (laughs) so I think those stories probably come in and out during our lives and I think we have to realize it's okay, right? Like that acknowledgement and acceptance piece of like, everything's not going to be perfect. I'm not going to feel happy hundred percent of the time, hundred percent of the time. And that's not only okay, but it's normal and how the human experience works. And I think that like self-awareness, like that connection to ourselves, which I think, especially in early motherhood is so easy to just have it disappear. Right. I mean, I had an infant who didn't want to be put down and he didn't want to, um, you know, I waited till my husband got home to make dinner because I couldn't put him down to chop the vegetables, like without him crying. And it just, it's all consuming. Right. And then when they start needing us a little less, it's, 
not necessarily, it takes us a while sometimes, I think, to be like, oh, Good, wait a second. Wait, where am I? I'm back here. Okay. Definitely. Um, I think we go through a lot of different transitions as mothers. You know, there's because of the different stages through as they go and, and, and yeah, relinquishing some of that control as they go, okay, you don't need me necessarily as much. And then it's like, okay, now I'm this person and then this phase in, in their life and that, and it just continues. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you gotcha. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go I was right just ahead. Gonna say, I just, that self-connection piece, um, I think running through all that would, would serve us well. <laughs> yes. Well, in remaining that connected to self very much. And I think it's yeah. important to do that for any, for, for anyone, whether you're a new mother, whether, you know, you're changing a part of your life, maybe you've gone through a divorce, those kind of things, just really being that connected to yourself. I think that is so important for yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. Um, you had, you talk about power and purpose and what do you think your purpose then is? I love that. I, I think my, my purpose is to, is to share my story and, and help other women. I think there's, there's pain, there's purpose in our pain. Um, and that as we become aware of it and start to heal it, then sharing that with others can be really powerful. Sometimes someone hearing a story like that for the first time, they might say it can trigger in them. Oh, I'm, I'm not alone. Like she's, she's speaking my language. Right. Um, and that alone is very powerful, especially in that realm of like self-judgment and self-doubt. Right. When you say, Oh, someone else knows what's going on in my head. Right. Yeah. So I just, I think that's, I think that's kind of where my purpose is at right now at that emotional freedom and helping other women see that it's possible and kind of knowing that they deserve that. You had mentioned earlier about your son having an autoimmune um, disorder and as well as you also having an autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did that affect your recovery process then you think? Yeah. So his, um, I don't know if it, his is autoimmune or not. And thankfully a miracle occurred and he grew out of his, so his immune system oh, fantastic. is now oh, good. Per- perfectly functioning as far as we know. So that was really good. I would say my diagnosis was actually probably the first big catalyst for, for change and looking at myself and my own needs in a different way. I went from it's funny, like the day before I was in the hospital, I, we had a professional development day and I was on fire planning. I was like with my team, I was like, yeah, we're going to do this. I'm committing to all this stuff. And, you know, 24 hours later, my kidneys have started to shut down. I can't get to the bathroom without, you know, being so dizzy. I'm going to fall over my, you know, I'm having this mini heart attack, like, and I'm in the hospital for 12 days. And it was, it was the period of, you know, IEP season, right? So it was like, I had all this paperwork looming over my head that needed to be done. And I'm sitting in the hospital and I can't do any of Any of that, any of that. Yeah. There's, there was no choice. And so, yeah, I had, I had to let go. I had, I had to figure out. Your body was telling you to take a break. Yeah. And take a rest. Very clearly. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I can see it as a, as a huge, huge blessing. And I think I sort of carried that forward in terms of most of the time, you know, listening to those whispers of my body before they become, you know, loud banging on the door. So yeah, I'm really grateful for it actually. 
Yeah. Well, and I like the idea that when you say about it being a blessing, very much like a learning opportunity to go, okay, something, my body and the universe is trying to tell me this is what I need to do. Because I think sometimes we let that stuff go on too long until you're right. It comes knocking very loudly at the door. And then, then we're basically down for the count. Yes. Yes. And it's like, um, the analogy that really makes sense to me is like, if you're you know, you're driving, you're driving on a long journey and your, your gas tank is, is low and you're thinking, oh, I have to get to, you know, my destination. I don't have time to stop for gas. Well, it's a lot faster to stop for gas than to have your car break down on the side of the road and have to wait for someone, you know, for that recovery process. So I always try to keep that in mind now when I feel those inklings in my body or in my psyche, like, okay, need a break. Yeah, you bet. Gas is running low. Well, why do you think women put themselves last? That self-compassion, that self-care. Why do you think mm. women do that? Oh, it's heartbreaking. It's it's such a good question, and it's it's per, it's pervasive. Yeah, we tend to be so hard on ourselves, and I don't know if it is sort of part of women being very self-aware. And I'm not saying men are not. Um, I just you know wonder if if there is that that link a little bit. And I think it's like our, our society rewards sort of that, like, you know, pull up your bootstraps, keep going, you know, um, push it down and move on, you know, get things done. Like that productivity is, is rewarded. Um, and so then I think all this other stuff going on for us starts to make us feel wrong about ourselves, right? Like if I don't feel like pulling up my bootstraps right now, then there must be something wrong with me because that's the message I'm getting. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think very much, you know, there is that whole stigma around mental health and around just not being able to do what all the things that you've committed to are necessary right away. It's just, oh, you know what? There's something wrong. You know, they're unable to do this. Well, you know what? Right now, yeah, yeah. Right now I might not be able to do it. That doesn't mean I can't do it in the future, that kind of thing. And really listening to ourselves and being compassionate with ourselves is so important. So important. Yeah. And I'm curious, like as things sort of open up after the pandemic, I've heard a few people talk about, you know, all of a sudden they're back into that pre-COVID busy state and they don't like it. It feels really uncomfortable, right? They feel drawn, you know, pulled by that energy outside of themselves. And, um, and they're not quite sure what to do with that right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if there will be a shift to more towards that whole balanced lifestyle that, yeah. uh, you know, there's work, there's play, there's paying attention to ourselves. And I'm curious if that is going to happen. As yeah, you're right, as everything kind of opens up, because now we've had that opportunity to step back and it be socially accepted because of COVID and, you know, and even just that whole fact of being around tons of other people and those kind of things. And, you know, people are able to balance better between work and play. And I'm curious how that will all shift. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Hopefully for the better, hopefully for a greater balance. Yeah, you (laughs) betcha. Well, I find it very interesting about that whole shift of working from home. 
that a lot of people are going to be doing that. Um, I was recently talking to a lady and she said, you know, I don't think it'll actually ever go back where I'll have to go back to the office. I think I'll be officially working from home as long as I've got an internet connection and she works for the federal government. And I, and I said, Oh really? Like you think that's the way it's going to be from now on? She says, Oh, absolutely. She says lots of people really enjoyed it. And the fact that it, it was just more manageable. Yeah. And that they're happier. And I mean, you want happy employees. Happy employees make for long. I'm not sure where I'm going with that. But anyway, yeah, well, it I makes. Happier employees are healthier. They take less sick days. They're more productive. They're better team members. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, you betcha. And I think it depends on the industry too, because I know us as teachers, that's not something that we can necessarily, I find that it's much better in the classroom and working with the students. It's really hard to engage with them online, but yeah, for sure. (laughs) So how did you find your strength then in overcoming the challenge of being a recovering perfectionist? Hmm. I think I probably did it for my son. I think that was sort of where that initial strength came from was seeing that this, you know, I didn't want him to see mommy being strung out. Like I wanted to be able to, to enjoy him and soak in this experience that I wanted so badly. And, um, it was, it was affecting my, my health. And I think, yeah, it's just for, for my family and for, for myself, it just had to change. Well, and that changes, change is good. And then again, it's very much that recognizing of yourself, that being in touch with yourself going, it does need to change. Um, Not only for your son, but for yourself, right? As well. So, yeah. And so what steps then did you take to where you are now? Uh, The connection and connection to self for sure um, has been huge. Uh, Meditation, journaling, you know, personal development books, um, counseling, coaching has been huge for me. Um, And just that I always thought I did a lot of sort of self-awareness type reflecting, but what I can see now is that my ability to reflect and the way I reflect has changed. And so instead of like ruminating essentially and driving that pattern home even more, I can now sort of see a different perspective, sort of see the blessing in the challenge, um, see where my limiting belief might have been and make a choice about who I want to be and what my, I want my life to be like. And, and that alone was a huge shift for me in terms of actually getting in touch with myself long enough to say, what do I want? I have, right, the perfectionist is always looking at other people, right? Um, what, do, what do you need? How do I need to make myself perfect to fit in to where you want me to be? And for some women, it's for me, especially, but I've experienced this with, with clients or potential clients. If you ask them what they want, they have no idea, mm-hmm. no idea. Um, I've heard women say, well, my kids are grown now and um, I have more time now, but I don't know what to do with it. Or I think I should be doing something, but I don't I don't know what lights me up anymore. I don't know what makes me happy anymore outside of my kids. And so I think like getting in touch with yourself and getting sort of real enough with yourself about that um, and letting yourself feel safe enough and worthy enough to actually start to see what you want. was a big shift for me. Yeah. Well, you bet. And I think a lot of time too, too often, we're not even asked what we want. I know. And, and, And it's not, 
it's not because people don't want to know what we want. It's just, we don't ask like, what do you want? Yes. And I think lots of times we just simply don't ask each other. And I think, I, I, I think it personally, but I also think like in relationships, it's like, you know, it's that whole communication piece, communicating with others, communicating with ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. Communication is one of the biggest things that I think is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And we can make all these assumptions about somebody, what somebody else wants, right? Like as a perfectionist, we've probably done that a lot, right? I'm making myself perfect in the way I think you need me to be perfect, which might not actually have anything to do with with, with what the person really wants. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Definitely. So where do you think you'll go next in your journey? I see myself continuing on sort of the I see myself in this ongoing sort of healing spiritual path right now and following that and bringing that into my coaching and growing, growing my coaching business. Yeah. Just hoping to get sort of the message of, of this freedom and shift and how it's, it's possible. And you are this, you know, beautiful, perfect person and you are important and just kind of getting that message out to as many, as many women as need to hear it. There you go. So my final question before we wrap this up, if you could give anyone in a similar situation, three pieces of advice to overcome any challenge, what would they be? Uh, The first one is self-love and compassion to be gentle with yourself, to recognize your perfection. Uh, It's all divine perfection. You are exactly where you're supposed to be right now, exactly the way you're supposed to be. The second thing would be to to know yourself and to listen to yourself, um, to give yourself permission to get quiet enough to hear your intuition, your inner guide. You have everything that you need inside of you. You already know the answers. And then the third is to, I think we touched on this earlier, about acknowledging and accepting sort of the entire human experience, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the ugly you know, it all has its place. Um, It's all an opportunity to learn and grow and experience more of yourself and get more in touch with, with yourself. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me today. I truly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Me too. Yeah. And thank you very much for being, uh, for sharing all of that, that personal, that personal stuff with us, you know, your struggles with infertility and all of that, because that's a huge thing. Not everybody's willing to put themselves in that situation to share their story, but just know that your story is making a difference for lots of others that are listening to this podcast. So thank you very much for that. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's actually one of, I would say the getting to a place where I could share those things that I used to hold in, in the darkness and feel shame around has, has been hugely freeing and healing for me. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm thank you. And I thank you for letting me be a part of that. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Rustic Affair podcast on Apple or Spotify. And if you like this episode, make sure to share it with your friends and family. Also, you can follow Amanda Nicole Grant on Instagram at movebeyondoverwhelm. And her website is also included in the show notes. As well, our last interview where we interviewed Dana Landry is episode two. Make sure to check that out as well. The Rustic Affair podcast, becoming the best version of you.